when we choose to live in a way that attempts to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then we understand that also means that we're walking a way that's, that's often counterculture. It, it goes against the, the flow of society around us in order to follow Jesus Christ. So if you faced opposition or if you are facing opposition, you are not alone. Jesus said it was going to happen. Peter said it was going to happen. Paul said it was going to happen. And now Jimmy has said it's going to happen. So, hey, listen, that's enough witnesses for you. You know it's going to happen. Prepare for it. Expect it. So what we're going to do today as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4 is we're actually going to look at some of the tactics. In other words, some of the, the ways in which we as as people who are trying to follow the Lord, some of the ways that the world, that people, and that unseen enemy we have comes against us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal the tactics of the enemy because this is what it's, we see right here in this passage. But we're going to do more than that. We're also going to find ways that we, as followers of Christ, can stand up to this opposition. What do we do? when it comes our way. So we got a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. So let's begin. If you have your Bibles, we'll look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and let's pray as we prepare to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that we're about to read, and we ask that you would speak to us as a church and as individuals. Lord, that we might not just learn stuff to fit in our heads, but we might find truth that fits in our lives, that changes the way we live tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. We thank you, Lord, that even though we do have opposition that comes against us, we do have troubles and tribulation that fill our lives, we recognize that greater are you who are in us and he who is in the world. And we take that stand on that promise today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 4, your Bible should automatically just start falling to Nehemiah now as you open it up. Let's take a look there together as we read this passage. And, and again, we'll, I'm going to do a, a few things just like I've done before, stop and breaking it apart as we go along. So Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now if you'll remember... Sambalat, Tobiah, uh, there were a number of people who were in opposition to the Jewish people coming back and rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem because they were basically people of great influence. They were people of great power, and they were exerting that and actually abusing the people, and, and, and they, were, they were getting gain off this, okay? So they did not want to see this happen. And so Sambalat, he's, he's angry, and he began to jeer at them. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So he is, he's, he's speaking this, but he's speaking it so his guys can hear it. You ever, if you ever encounter a bully, they're typically, they have a crowd with them. Bullies don't typically bully by themselves. They've got an audience they're playing to. And so he's playing to the audience. And then he began to, to taunt them with these questions what are these feeble Jews doing? 
Will they restore it for themselves? In other words, do, do they honestly think they're going to build this city for them? This is our city. We, we've been ruling this. We've been running this. Do they think they're going to do this for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? I mean, look, they're out there with all this enthusiasm. Woo, they think they're going to build this city in a day. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that. In other words, they're surrounded by rubble. They're out there, woo, we're building a wall, and, and they have no idea what they're doing, what they're in for. This task is way too big for them. And then one of his buddies, and again, this is what happens. You get the bully out there out in front. He's always got a, a, a wingman there who chimes in to kind of echo and, and, and add to the bullying. He says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they're... What, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Okay. So we're going to pause right here. Because this, is, this, this bullying tactic, it, we're, we're going to call this first tactic mocking. Okay? Mocking or taunting or teasing or deriding. This is a tactic. When, when you're being opposed, then, then oftentimes we'll see this. We see it in politics. We see it on schoolyards. We see this all over. This is a common tactic worldwide that is mocking. What is mocking? It is deriding. It is putting down. It's making fun of. It's finding typically a weakness and then exploiting that weakness and magnifying that weakness and that's exactly what's happening here they are criticizing they're heckling from a distance they're insulting the workers in the presence of other people trying to embarrass them now do you remember last week when we talked about building a wall that among the list of people and and what their skills were that it never listed one as a wall builder okay it never listed any of them as stonemasons or in construction work. It never listed any of that in chapter 3. And so they were out there. These guys are perfumers and goldsmiths and priests. And they're out there just kind of like when we go to the Dominican Republic and we're building stuff. Most of us, that's not what we do. Okay? And so we go out there, we do, we, we do the very best we can, and we do a commendable job when we do it. So they're out there building, and they know, hey, listen, this is probably not the ideal wall. This is probably not the best that, that someone could do. If we brought in stonemasons and people, they could do a better job, and we're putting this thing together, and sometimes I'm kind of insecure about what I'm doing. Is this going to hold? Is this right? Should it put that block or this block or how it all holds together? So they're already insecure. And so when you're taunted and you have insecurities, man, it just starts piling on. And i got to tell you this, typically bullies do exactly that. They don't go after the strong. They go after those who are insecure. Those who have weaknesses, those who aren't the most popular, they begin to try to tear them down. So what we see here, we, we read about bullying in schools all the time. Listen, it's not new. We see it happening right here as Sambalat and Tobiah and those are mocking them. But I want to tell you this, and, and you need to understand this. There, there were real people out there really mocking the Jews as they tried to build the wall. But you need to also understand there's an unseen enemy behind all this. Now, there are a lot of people that go, oh, yeah, Satan, he's just a myth. He's not real. It's just kind of, you know, just kind of evil out there. I want to tell you this, that's not what Scripture teaches. 
What Scripture teaches is that we have a very real enemy, a fallen angel who hates and despises Christ and Christ's followers and who would love to see nothing better than for us to fail, stumble, fall, and quit. And so behind this, you've got you got an unseen adversary pulling the strings of these men. But hey, they are willing accomplices. Let's move on. Verse 4. Nehemiah's praying here. Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now very often, once we're taunted, once we're mocked, we want to go, oh yeah? We want to kind of stand up for ourselves. But that's not what Nehemiah did at all. Nehemiah Nehemiah ran home to daddy. Because he knew that his father, who resided, he knew that his father was able to handle something he could not handle. And if you look at the prayer he prays, it's not all sugary sweet. He's, he's, not, he's not going to him and saying, God, you know, they're bad, but just bless them anyway. No, this prayer is honest. And this prayer is raw with emotion. Just like many of the psalms that you will read are honest and raw with emotion. And you need to understand, people of God, that you do not need to pretend when you go to God in prayer. Some of us feel like, oh, well, I'm going to pray. I better put on my my prayer face. I I better dress it up. I can't let God honestly know what's going on inside my heart. And that's ridiculous. God knows what's going on inside your heart. So go ahead and let him know. Speak it. Get it out there where God can help you deal with it. But he didn't say, Lord, make us strong enough that we can go knock them out. Instead, he said, God, listen, we're your people. This is your city. And this is your plan. You take care of them. You get them. You knock them out. And listen, was, someone would go, well, Nehemiah was, was wrong to pray that way because he should be praying that they be blessed. And I just want to tell you this, Nehemiah was, Nehemiah was honest when he prayed. And that's the best we can do when we pray. And I just want to encourage you, be honest when you pray. Let God know what's really on your heart because you're not fooling him anyway. And trust him to take care of your enemies. And so he, he's praying. That's the first thing he does. And he prays this out loud. Now, I will let you know that it appears that as he prayed, he did get in a little jab himself. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, back in verse 4, he says, Turn back on their taunts on their own head and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. You see, they thought, hey, man, we, we're, we're living high off the hog here. We're, we are, we put our, we've 
we've asserted our will on Jerusalem for a long time. But in reality, they were captives too. You see, they were still subject to King Artaxerxes. And so, even in the midst of that, and that's what so many, so many bullies don't understand, is that they're insecure too. They're just covering it up. All right, so we've, we've looked at this, and, and so it goes on in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height. So they got it half built, for the people had a mind to do the work. And so as Nea, you know, you had Sambalot in front of the armies, and so everybody could hear the taunts. Um, it doesn't say this. I'm going to assume this based on it, it appears this way that Nehemiah prayed his prayer not at home in his prayer closet, but on the front lines. He prayed his prayer so his people could hear the prayer. And they could be encouraged by his faith, by his confidence, that they too could be encouraged. And it, so it says, and so they built the wall, and the wall came together to half its height because they had a mind to work. What does that mean? It means they were convinced that they were doing God's work. If you want to be persistent, if you want to keep on keeping on, then you need to be convinced that you're doing God's work. When opposition comes on you, you need to be convinced that you're doing God's work because that's, sometimes that's the only thing you've got to keep you moving forward. Now, we want to look at this second threat here. We go in verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard now i mean now they're all coming after them okay they heard that the repairing of the walls of jerusalem was going forward in other words the the taunts didn't work and that the breaches were beginning to be closed they were very angry so they're like hey we're losing out too because we had influence and now our influence is going to be taken away in verse 8 and they all plotted together to come and fight against jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so tactic number two, threats. Tactic number one was mocking. Tactic number two, threats. Create an atmosphere of fear. Come together, plot war, plan war, plan an attack. And you can almost, I mean, you can almost visualize this. As you spend time in God's Word, sometimes just slow down. Try to, try to picture what's going on. You can, almost, you, know, you can almost see that all these groups are standing over there, and they're looking at the walls halfway built, and they're plotting and they're scheming, and they're huddling up, and then they're getting out and going. Okay, they're, 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 they're trying to intimidate with this threat. So what does Nehemiah do? Does Nehemiah get up on the wall and go, oh, yeah? Well, if you come over here, we're going to get you. No. Notice what Nehemiah does. Verse 9, and we prayed to our God. He called the people together for a prayer meeting. They're over there plotting, scheming, and planning. He calls them together for prayer. And then he says, and set a guard as protection against them day and night sometimes we feel like hey praying is all we have to do 
But we see here a great example of praying and acting. Prayer and acting going hand in hand. In other words, we recognize that that prayer, we ought to be praying and we trust God, but we also believe that God put us here for a purpose, for a reason, and that we may be part of the answer to our own prayer. We talked about that earlier. We may be part of the answer to our prayer. And so both prayer and action going hand in hand here. So progress was going on. They pull them together for a prayer meeting, they, 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 and then they want to get back to work. But there's something going on behind the scenes that we're going to see play out here. And, and I see this happen. It happens in churches. It happens in denominations. And that is, if you've ever been out at the beach and you, you've kind of stood on the edge and the, the surf's coming up, right? And you're standing there and you can, you can stand but as you stand there and the waves come up around you and wash back out, what happens to the sand around your feet? It begins to pull that sand out, and eventually you kind of get a little unstable on your feet because it's pulling the sand from behind your feet, and, and it's making you unstable where you stand. Okay, i got to tell you, even when we say, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, a lot of what the world says when they come against us, it begins to kind of take root and begins to take an effect in our lives. Look here in verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And here's the, the third tactic, discourage discourage we have an enemy who will taunt us we have an enemy who will threaten us we have an enemy who will discourage us when 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 those lies when those threats start to seep in on the inside they begin to discourage i mean the people were tired they'd been taunted endlessly they'd been threatened endlessly and if you'll remember, when Nehemiah went out to survey the work, he went out riding on a, probably a, a donkey. He went out, a sure-footed animal. But there was a time where he had to get off the donkey and walk by foot through the rubble. We, we have no idea just the, how the devastation and just the mounds of burned block and gates and, 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 and everything is just mounded up. And remember, it's been a long, long time. Everything's grown up. People have probably started with they're trying to fix their houses. What are they going to do with the broken stuff? They go throw it among the pile with the other walls that are all busted down. It was a mess. The rubble was all around them. They're trying to they're working around the mess. And, and it just got to be overwhelming. And, and the temptation to quit happens. I mean, s- some of you, like me, have been on a diet. And maybe you set a goal. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds. And then so you, 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 you start it with great fervency, right? And you, you get to that point where you're about halfway there, and then progress slows down a little bit. And, and then what are you tempted to do? Well, quit. Obviously, I'm not going to make my goal. Might as well just stop here. Sometimes the halfway point is the most dangerous place you can be. 
because you're tempted to quit. I guess that's true for a diet. It must be true for a wall here because that's what we see happening. The people are becoming weary. Now, Satan's like any good boxer. When you get your opponent on the ropes, you don't let up. I I used to enjoy watching boxing, and I I even tried boxing one time, and I I was bigger than all the other kids that were boxing, and I was pummeling them. And I'm thinking, I'm it, man. I am, I am the next boxer. There's a little boy named Tommy. And he had some older brothers who loved to work out. And so Tommy would work out with them. And Tommy was short. But Tommy was muscular. I mean, he, he really, I know you look at me and you go, oh, well, Pastor, you're muscular too. But no, no, Tommy was really muscular. And so it, it, was, it was Tommy and me, and we were in the ring, and we were going at it. And I had, I had the benefit of reach. I, I just, I had it going on. And then Tommy caught me one time. I know, on this side of my face. I remember it. He caught me one time right here. And I backed off. I said, never again. <laughs> I, I, am, I am not doing that again. Hey, listen. If you got, and Tommy let up on me, thank goodness, but Satan's not going to do that. If Satan lands a blow, he's coming in for blow number two and blow number three and blow number four until he's put you out. And that's what we see happening here. Another tactic, tactic number four, confuse and overwhelm. It's kind of like back in Gulf War, shock and awe. Here we have confuse and overwhelm. And look at this, verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Okay, how did, how did Nehemiah know the private conversations that were going on, the strategy to come and attack? Nehemiah knew because they leaked it. They wanted the word to get out. Hey, we're, we're going to come, and we're not just going to attack them to stop the work. We're going to kill them. And so now you've got all that tumult going on on our people who are already tired and weary. And then verse 12, And at the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So here's what's happening. They've they've been gone from home. Remember, there were people who came from a number of cities in the nation who came to help. There were people who lived outside Jerusalem who had to leave their families and homes to come and help. And so you've got people who are there because if the people just living in Jerusalem, they couldn't do it by themselves. And so all these people came and they sacrificed to come and help. But now you, you got, listen, you need to come home. Uh, the cows already got out twice. And uh, when you left, the vineyard already needed pruning and weeding and man, the weeds are about to take over. And, and listen, I've done all I can with little Jacob over here. But he, listen, you've got to get home and bring your belt. Things are, t- it's getting messy at home. You ne- listen, I know it's important, but your family's important too. You need to come home. Now, my guess is that the enemies have put all these people up to it. My guess is they've been kind of talking 
this project down and convincing them that you, you need to, you really, man, your place is a mess. You really need to go get, get your folks back here so they can fix it up. So now you've got that kind of undercurrent going on. And the project is in jeopardy. And so Nehemiah, the leader, God's man for that time, what does he do? How does he really act? Does he, does he go and he, does he yell at the workers and go, what are you, a bunch of chickens? A bunch of quitters? You're just going to stop right now when the wall's just half done? He didn't go off in a corner somewhere and start chewing his nails, worrying and fretting about it. He didn't go, okay, okay, I see the handwriting on the wall. Let me see if we can get a compromise with the enemy. No. Let's see what he does, beginning in verse 13. We'll read these verses kind of in total. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, coats of mail, that is the armor. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall and, and who carried the burdens. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other and each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people the work is great and widely spread and we're separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there our God will fight for us so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now, there's a lot in there, and I'm going to run over these very, very quickly just so you can see how Nehemiah responds. And he is a very, very capable leader. You can learn a lot about leadership just from this little section. So notice some of the things he does here. First of all, in verse 15, he organizes the defenses of the city. He says, okay, we got a problem. Let's put a plan in action to fix the problem. He, in verse 16, he draws at all the weapons on his disposal. He didn't say, well, hey, just bring a few swords if you feel like it. He said, no, everything we've got, we're going to throw at this problem. In verse 16 also, he called the leaders to lead. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm the only leader out here. He recognizes there are people of influence in the city, and he calls upon them to take leadership in this project that they're doing, in this defense of the city. In verses 17, 21, and 23, he made everyone responsible for the defense of the people. This is not somebody else's job. This is your job. Young, old, male, female, whether you're a soldier or a, uh, a goldsmith, 
you're responsible for protecting the city. In verses 19, 20, and 22, he developed contingency plans. Hey, that's okay. We've got a plan. If something goes wrong, here's what we do. Here's our plan of action. And then in verse 20, we see that he pointed them to their ultimate protector. He said, but ultimately, our God, he will fight for us. So you're not doing this alone. Now, here's the deal. You read all that and say, that's well and good. I think I got a little better grasp now of Nehemiah chapter 4. What does that mean for me and my life? Because you see, my issue is not that I'm building a wall around my house and I've got a bunch of people outside yelling at me and threatening me. So how do we take this? Are there principles here that we can find in this passage that help us when we deal with opposition? And there are. What do we do when we face opposition? Firstly, don't be surprised when you face opposition. When you're following the Lord, that's going to happen. Don't be surprised. The, the old wonderful hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress, one of the lines says, For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. We have an enemy. Expect that it's coming. Secondly, recognize that there's an unseen enemy pulling the strings our battle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. Yes, he's pulling the strings, he's behind the scenes, but he's, ultimately our enemy is not that person in front of us. There's an unseen enemy. Third, don't give in to intimidation or discouragement. Instead, pray and keep moving forward. Now, you may not move forward as quickly as you would like, I mean, if I think about this, okay, we're getting ready to go and, and work. Some of you work on habitat houses. Uh, you know, uh, Tim, you go to Costa Rica and work. If I had to lay block while holding a weapon, it would be a little cumbersome. But the progress could still move forward. may not move as quickly as I want it to. But we're still moving forward. We're not stopping simply to be an armed militia. Uh, next is, is don't get sidetracked. And this ties in with that. Seek what could have happened. And what, listen, Sambalat and the rest of the crew would have been just as happy if they said, okay, guys, let's, let's quit working on the wall and let's just move back and take defensive positions. Because what would that have done? That would have stopped work on the wall, which is exactly what they wanted. And so we need to be careful as followers of Jesus Christ to know what God has called us to and not allow, don't get sidetracked even by good things. Don't get sidetracked. Next, be there for one another in a time of need. Did you notice what he said? Hey, listen, if the, when the horn sounds over here, then you guys come and you help over here. If the horn sounds over there, then we're going to come over there and help you guys. Be there for one another. Here's, here's a temptation. We feel like we're the only one in the world under assault right now. We feel like we're the only one with the problems that we have. We're the only ones with the opposition we face. No, we're not. We're in this together. Be there for one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Help one another. What the Bible tells us is bear one another's burdens. Be willing to help shoulder the load when it gets too crushing on someone else. And then finally, 
remember that we have a God who fights for us. Write down this reference on your sheet, Psalm 18.2. You're going to want to come back to this verse over and over and over again. Let me tell you what it says. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Nehemiah believed that, and it sustained him. He wanted the people to believe that so we could sustain them. I need to believe that so it could sustain me, and I need you to believe it so it can sustain you. You have a God who is not against you, but who is for you. But you have an enemy who is not for you, but against you. But you need to understand this. Our enemy, our enemy has got nothing that can defeat our God. No weapon in his arsenal, no tactic he can use can succeed when our people are committed to the plan of God and committed to the God of the plan. That's where we need to be. Now, let me bring it down to your life really quickly. God does have a plan and a purpose for your life. Some of you have begun to understand what that is, and you've begun to embrace that. Some of you have yet to discover it. I want to ask you to do a very simple thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord and go, Okay, God. Other than the Great Commission, which I know belongs to all of us, do you have something specifically in my life that you want me to do? Maybe it's where I go to school. Maybe it's where I work. Maybe it's with the friends that I associate with. What is it that you are calling me and equipping me to do? And once God has done that, then I want to encourage you to move forward. Even if you face opposition, move forward forward about five years ago we went to Bate 7 Bate 7 is about the dirtiest poorest place I have ever been just down the street from Pastor Alberto's house Pastor Alberto's going to be with the Lord now just down the street from Pastor Alberto's house, there was a witch doctor's compound. They're Haitians, most of them, Haitian descent. Voodoo's really big. Worship of Satan is really big. And so we would walk in groups, just kind of going around, and, and we'd pray as we walked by. We had a large prayer gathering in front of Pastor Alberto's house. We brought the cross from the church. We planted it in a pile of gravel there in front of his house. We all joined hands in a large circle. We began to pray, some of us in English, some of us in Spanish. Pastor Alberto in Creole. Now, Pastor Alberto's a small guy. But when he started praying in Creole, you guys that were there, you know this. People began to open their doors looking out because he could be heard all over that community as he prayed, as he pleaded with God, 
I have no idea what the man said. But I know he was talking to God. When that was over, we were all bolstered by that. We finished the work. We put the cross back where it was supposed to be. And we finished the work and we, and we left. Three months later, we got word. You know, Bate 7, you know that witch doctor's compound? It completely burned down, and the witch doctor left. I don't care what the opposition is, folks. We have a God who is greater. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for what we can learn from a story 2,500 years ago. And we pray, Lord, that today that you would be a source of encouragement and strength to those who are going through opposition, who are facing uh, trouble because they're just trying to be faithful to you. Lord, would you help us to take a lot of that that to heart that we learned today, to be there for one another, to take it to you in prayer honestly, to trust you with it, to know we've got an unseen enemy and to recognize you're greater than that enemy. But Lord, I also want to pray for those who don't know, don't know you that way. They know about you, but they've never known you personally. They don't have a relationship with you. They can call you God, but they can't call you Father. Lord, I pray today if that man or that woman or that teenager is here right now who has a longing in their hearts placed there by the Holy Spirit, a longing to be a child of God, a longing to call you Father, then I pray today that by your Spirit you will call them to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. For Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, would you by your Spirit now draw us, call us, move us to whatever decision it is you want for us. A decision for Jesus, a decision to belong to a local church. Or, Lord, maybe it's just a time of surrender where we come and abandon our fears and embrace your mission for us. Whatever it is, Lord, you call us to do, we're ready to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.